Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. In just a few moments, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to read a passage from the Bible book called Mark, because it was written from a guy named Mark. And then what I want to do is explore two things, okay? The first is an issue that Mark raises, and I want to close with some invitations that I believe Jesus gives us for our weekend and our lives here today. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to read a story, and then we're going to look at an issue and some invitations. So before we do that, and as people are joining in this live stream, I want to make a few comments on an interesting time for the church in America. I think what we're starting to realize is that the church is not a building. Now, this is something that Christians have been saying for a long time, because the truth is that the church is a people, okay? We've said that, but I think only now is it starting to really sink in. Oh yeah, church is not just a place we go to because we can still do these kinds of things without getting together physically in a building. So I think it's starting to sink in that the church is not a building. The second thing that's happening in the church in America is that we are starting to realize that the church is not content. Okay, follow me for just a second, okay? I recognize that right now I'm creating content. I'm kind of sermonizing on a social media platform. I also recognize that if you're a member of the Neighborhood Church and you're in our member Facebook group, today you saw a worship video uploaded. That's content. If you're a member of the Facebook group of the Neighborhood Church, you also had resources and materials posted for our elementary kids ministry. You had music videos, you had teaching videos, you had activities, you had content. Also, if you're following along, you saw a wonderful video that our Neighborhood Kids Ministry put out, which is content. But I need to remind you that the church does not equal content. Here's the trick. I want us to think of it this way. Our means of gathering has changed, but that doesn't mean that we're still not a people. So our content is like firewood, For which God can bring the fire as we encourage one another, work together in our mission to bring hope and love and light of good news in a world that is in desperate need for hope and light and love and good news. It's firewood, but God brings the fire to form us into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. So this content is good. But it's a piece of the broader puzzle of what it means to be God's people together. So this weekend, you see church after church after church, like ours, doing a lot of good content. But just remember that this is a piece of the broader puzzle. It's like firewood, and we let God bring the fire to form us for the sake of the world. So with all that being said, let's have a sort of church gathering that's content that's not in a building. Okay, so I'm going to pray, I'm going to read a story, then we're going to look at an issue that Mark raises, and we're going to have some invitations for us in this unique cultural moment in which we find ourselves in. So I'm going to pray, and I would love it if you could just be with me for a minute. 
let the Facebook feed just be still and breathe for maybe the first time all day, taking in a deep breath and being present to God's presence. Whether you're a Christian or not, I want to tell you that God is with you. He is moving and working within you and around you, and he's calling us to pay attention to a presence that meets us as love and as spirit and as personal. And we are going to pray to this God who is with us and who will not leave us nor forsake us. So I'm going to pray. Father, creator, sustainer, lover of all that you have made, We ask that your name would be lifted high, high and above all fear, anxiety, chaos, and worry, that your name would be lifted high to its proper place, and that it would be a banner under which we live and move and have our being. We do ask that your kingdom, your way, your will, your want, your government, that it would come on earth as it is in heaven that it would displace darkness, violence, fear, anxiety, and exploitation, and that you would give us this day what we need. And then we pray, Lord, for those in the service industry that have lost their jobs, that you would provide for them, and that you would even do so through our hands. Lord, we pray for those who are working in the medical industry. We pray that you would provide for them health and peace. Lord, we pray for our first responders. We pray for the mail carriers. We pray for the people that still have to go to an office that you would provide for them health and peace. And Lord, we pray for our homeless friends, our helpless friends, the friends that we'll see this week at Austin Street for some of us. We pray that you would meet their needs out of your abundance and that through our hands we may be a part of that in ways that you might call us to. So Lord, we do ask you would deliver us from fear and evil, that you would keep us united and steadfast in a hope that transcends despair, and that we would lean in to one another and to you, our King, who is inviting us into the project of the renewal of all things. So we stake our hope in you, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So with that being prayed, I want to read a story from the book of Mark. It's in Mark chapter 6. If you've been following along our Lent Bible reading plan at the Neighborhood Church, you would have read this story yesterday. And Before I read it, I'm going to remind you that this is a greatest hit miracle of Jesus. It's a miracle in which he walks on water. Now, there's a few other accounts of Jesus walking on water, sometimes in a storm, or that one famous one where Peter is going to hop out of the boat and walk with him. This one's different. So I want you to hear these words, and then we're going to talk about an issue that Mark raises, and I'm going to leave you with some invitations to help us in this climate of fear and worry for how Jesus can calm the storms and chaos in our life. So, I'm here in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. 
After leaving them, the disciples in the crowd, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. Let me pause there. I think I'm going to get to this later. But suffice it to say, Jesus needed to disengage. So give yourself permission with all of this craziness to do what Jesus did and get away from it all for a minute to breathe and pray and be reminded that there is more going on than what we see in the crowds and what you got to do. Jesus regularly took time to disengage. Can I give you permission to do the same? I like to. So let's disengage like Jesus did in healthy ways. So back to our story, verse 47. Later that night, this is about 3 a.m., these dudes are still booking it, trying to get across the lake. So later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. And Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars. Okay, professional fishermen, deadliest catch style, struggling. Okay, shortly before dawn, with this wind against them, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. This is crazy to me. Jesus is like just strolling past them. I'm not sure Jesus was actually going to engage with them unless they saw him and said something. So they do. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, can I say that again? Walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And I don't blame them because I've never seen anybody walking on the water next to my boat. So they're freaking out and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love how he's not saying, hey, I'm just walking on the lake. Here's how. No big deal. He's just saying, don't be afraid when they have every reason to be afraid. But we continue on. Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. I want to just pause there. How many of you have been to that one concert that's like ear-splittingly loud and crazy, and it's noisy, and then all of a sudden, when it's over and the lights come up, and you step out of the venue, you're in the open air, it's late at night, and all of a sudden, it's like your body has to catch up to the new normal of stillness and quiet after the crazy din of noise. Y'all, when you walk out of your house in the last couple days, it's been super windy and you just hear that wind blowing past your ears. Could you imagine being on a boat, straining, struggling, the wind in your face, Jesus strolling past you, then he climbs into the boat and all of a sudden when Jesus is present to them, stillness. 3 a.m., quiet stillness and still waters. What a trip this must have been for these guys. I'm going to tell you why I think Jesus does that here in a minute. So, their fear turns to amazement. For they had not understood about the loaves. Hold on to that just a sec. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and they anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. 
And they ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard Jesus was. And wherever Jesus went, into the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. And they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Issue, invitation. Here's the issue first. Ready? The issue that Mark wants to raise with us is this. Will we see Jesus for who he is? You see, Jesus really gets the disciples' attention. The scene on the lake that we just read happened right after Jesus fed 5,000 people in the wilderness. But we just read their hearts were hardened. Jesus feeds 5,000 people in the wilderness. Everybody sit down. We've been teaching. We've been having a grand old time. Then their stomachs start to growl. There's no Chipotle nearby. What do we do? Jesus looks at the disciples, says, you give them something to eat. And they turn out their pockets and are like, dude, I got a piece of gum. And they find somebody that has five loaves and two fish. That'll work better. Jesus takes it, blesses it, and feeds 5,000 people. And they don't get it. What Mark wants us to see is this is kind of like that time with our ancestors in the days of Moses when the people were wandering in the wilderness and they didn't know how they were going to eat. They didn't know how they were going to provide. Walmart and Target had lines out the door. There's no toilet paper. There's no pasta. There's no tuna. And yet, it's kind of like that time that God fed his people in the wilderness, but they don't get it. Now, it's 3 a.m., it's in the middle of the night, they're struggling, they're straining to try to get across the lake. Jesus strolls across the water, and it's kind of like Mark is saying, remember with our ancestors in the days of Moses, when they were moving out of slavery and into freedom and when they thought all hope was lost and there was no way out and no way they were struggling and straining and trying to get to a place of freedom and God parted the waters so that the people could walk through it but the disciples are freaked out and terrified Mark's words are screaming off the page and the issue he's raising is Will you pay attention? Yes, it seems bleak. Yes, it seems scary. But Jesus is with you. He is here. The trick is fear clouds our vision. Fear gets us fixated on the maybes and the might be's. Maybe he's not with us. Maybe it won't be okay. Maybe we'll be in our house for the next month, two months, three months. We don't know. Fear clouds our vision. And Mark and all these faithful brothers and sisters that you need to stay connected to are here to remind you that this is a small piece of the puzzle. But if we were to widen our gaze, we'll see that this is the one who meets our needs in the wilderness and calms our troubled minds and waters. There was a time that Amy and I were really afraid. We've been thinking about this because eight years ago this month, we welcomed our first child, Emma Grace. Her picture is on one of these pictures behind me. She was born 
and she was a healthy and beautiful little baby girl. She was a gift to us because we didn't know that we could have little babies, and we welcomed this beautiful, chunky little thing. She was chunky in the perfect ways that babies can be chunky, and we started on that adventure that so many of you young parents start on when you take them to all the checkups. You know what I'm saying? You got to take them to the one week and the one month, and on and on they go. And so we were taking her to our pediatrician appointments, and we realized um, around eight months, nine months, ten months, that we had kind of leapfrogged that teething stage. You see, Amy knew that children typically cut their teeth between four and six months old. And we made it all the way up to the year-long appointment where our pediatrician finally said, look, I know it, still no teeth. I know you guys are starting to be concerned and I'm here to tell you, wait just a minute. If she doesn't have a tooth by 18 months, it could be something serious. Let's give it till 18 months, but it could be something serious. Gotta tell you, Amy and I started to let fear creep in and all we saw was could be. And three months later, no teeth. One month, one week goes by. At 15 months, still no teeth. By this point, thankfully, we started to share our burdens and our worries with our friends and our family and inviting them to pray and beg God for teeth. We never thought we would beg God for little kid teeth, but that's what we were doing. And around 15 months, we kind of got a lifeline and a spark. And what it was, was an unexpected gift from some friends of ours who'd been praying with us. And they had a dream. And the dream was seeing Emma, but not little chunky baby Emma. Seeing Emma older, grown up. And when Emma smiled, they saw a mouthful of teeth in their dream. That cultivated something within us. It spurred something within us. So not only were we sharing our burdens, which the New Testament is always talking about, cast your cares onto the Lord, share your burdens, bear with one another. We not only were doing that, we started to recycle our worries into prayers. Paul, who wrote a chunk of the New Testament, when he's in jail, he said, Turn all of your worries into prayers. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything, even little baby teeth. So 15 months was that turning point. But then 16 months, no teeth. 17 months, no teeth. We were approaching that dreaded 18-month appointment. And I'm telling you, on the morning of her 18-month appointment, Amy's doing what she had done day in, day out, and she's feeding little baby Emma oatmeal because she couldn't eat. She didn't have teeth. She had to eat the soft stuff. And she saw something on her gums that was a little white speck, and she thought that it was just some oatmeal. So Amy was curious enough to stick her finger in Emma's mouth, (laughs) which was a risky proposition, that gave way to the most painful and joyful experience she had had is a parent, as a parent, to that point. Emma chomped down on her finger, and she realized that was not oatmeal. That was the little beginnings of a tooth. 
on the morning of her 18-month appointment, when we were going to march into that uh, doctor's appointment, what felt like a funeral dirge, what felt like a strain, what felt like fear, what felt like the cloudiness of vision, what felt like something that was so much bigger than it may have actually been. We thought that Jesus was walking past us. He was a ghost. He was something that had uh, just walked around past us. All we were experiencing was the struggle against the wind. All we were seeing was a ghost passing by, but Jesus got our attention. And the deal is, sometimes it takes chaos. Sometimes it takes struggle to get our attention. The trick is to start looking even before the chaos, but sometimes it takes a little chaos to be reintroduced to Jesus as the calmer of chaos. This issue that Mark's raising, well, we see Jesus for who he is. It starts by understanding that Jesus saw the disciples struggling. Jesus saw them and he gets into the boat. We need to get our attention up on Jesus to see that he is with us in the midst of the chaos so that he might be the calmer of chaos. See, in order to be the calmer of chaos, you need a little chaos. In order to recognize that he'll be with you in the wilderness, you got to pay attention in the wilderness. In order to understand that he'll be with you in the wind and the waves, it takes a little bit of wind and waves, which is why our family loves this ancient passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 4. It's been a gift and a lifeline for our family for so many more reasons that would be a whole other video. But suffice it to say, it's good. So listen to this. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 3. And it echoes the words that Jesus says to those passing through the waters, Do not be afraid. This is a powerful reminder because the trick is not that he would keep you from all the rivers and all the waters and all the fires. The promise is that he'll be with you in them. And that's the issue Mark is raising. Understand this, guys. The issue is never a rescue mission. The issue was a revelation mission. They were just going to take twice as long to get through that wind, Jesus wasn't going out to rescue them. He was out to reveal himself to them. The issue here is will we let Jesus reveal himself to us? How is Jesus revealing himself to you? Is he giving you this fresh and compelling vision that things may not always be going exactly your way, but even in that, he's gonna be with you. And that's our invitation, okay? The invitation is to let Jesus into the boat. This is where I want to spend the last little minutes we have together. There's three invitations of letting Jesus into our boat. The first is the humanity boat. 
The second is our home boat. And the third is our heart boat. Oh, I was tempted to kind of do this action like my girls do, but that would be super cheesy. And let's face it, I'm a cheesy pastor. Humanity boat, home boat, heart boat. Holler at me with some heart emojis if you're feeling it. Nope? Okay, let's keep going. The humanity boat. We've got to invite Jesus into this. Here's the trick. We're in a monocultural moment that's touching every person from the billionaires offshore on the East Coast to the millionaire celebrities Instagramming from their mansions on the West Coast to all of the middle class folks just trying to get enough groceries for their home and figuring out how to homeschool their kids and everybody in between our homeless and helpless friends on the street. We're all in this boat Together, here's the invitation for God's people. To let Jesus into this humanity boat, I think, is to ask this question. Are we adding to the chaos or are we pointing to the calmer of chaos? You see, when they finally make it to the other side, there's something hidden within Mark's passage that are a couple of Easter eggs. Y'all know what Easter eggs are? If you've seen a Pixar movie or you go to like Disney World and they have those hidden Mickeys. I don't know why I'm just thinking about Disney stuff, but Easter eggs are those little hidden nuggets that you have eyes to see you spot. Here's the Easter eggs that Mark gives us when they reach the other side of the lake. Two words. The first is a mat. The second word is a cloak. You see, at the end of this passage that we read, we see that when Jesus makes it to the other side, word has spread and they bring sick people on mats. Then as the crowd forms around Jesus, the sick people start to try to get close enough to touch a cloak. Here's why those are Easter eggs. If you've been following along the story that Mark is telling, we looked at the story last week where some guys were bold enough to lay their friend on a mat at the feet of Jesus and Jesus forgave him and healed him. They started to tell that story. They had to have. It was wild. It was crazy. And word travels fast so that now it wasn't just that one guy over there. It's all the guys on the mat and they're getting healed. Then, the second Easter egg, if you're following along the story that Mark is telling, we read a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, about a woman who was hemorrhaging blood. She was on the outskirts of society. She had spent all her money. She had lost her job. She had lost her family. And she had a bold enough plan to just get close enough to Jesus to touch his cloak. And Jesus stops down, looks her in the eye. He doesn't rebuke her. He rewards her. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. She went from being the outsider to daughter and everybody heard it she was healed so now it wasn't just that one lady with that one thing that touched that one time on his cloak it's all the people touching mats excuse me touching cloaks bringing people on mats word had spread why am i telling you this what word are you spreading to this boat called humanity freaking out you have reason to be concerned, but you also have reasons to be hopeful. Are you adding to the chaos or are you pointing to the calmer of chaos? This is one of the ways that we can love our neighbors, even socially and virtually online. Are we adding to the chaos or are we pointing to the calmer of chaos?
The second boat is not just our neighbors out there. It's our neighbors that are three feet away from us. It's the home boat. There's three questions I'm wrestling with. Here's what I've been wrestling with. The first is, how am I communicating? Are the walls starting to close in so that I'm starting to show that in the way I'm talking? One of the things we talk about a lot is how you say what you say matters. And I think that I was caught this morning feeling a little anxious and tense. And how I was communicating was not so great. How am I communicating? How am I loving my neighbors three feet away from me? The second question I'm wrestling with is how am I disengaging? We talked about this at the beginning of this stream. When Jesus went to a mountainside to pray, I need you to understand you have permission to take a breath away from these people and from this device on which you're streaming. Jesus did it. You can too. It's so important to disengage. The third question, how am I helping? I think this is a unique opportunity for us to work together as these family units to help encourage and to help pull our weight and to help make our little home quarantine as happy and healthy as possible. Maybe you've heard that famous quote from Mother Teresa where she says, do ordinary things with extraordinary love. I'm thinking about doing dishes, cleaning the house, doing laundry, keeping our places tidy, helping your people, your partners. But I love how Mother Teresa um, explores that even further in her Nobel Peace Prize lecture in 1979. She says, love begins at home. And it is not how much we do, but how much love we put in the action that we do. Let me say that again. Love begins at home, and it is not how much we do, but how much love we put in the action that we do. So love your people in how you do what you do. Love your people in how you say what you say. Love yourself in how you disengage. These are the questions and how I believe we can invite Jesus into our home boat. So we got our humanity boat, our home boat, and finally... Our heart boat. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what I want to leave you with, this invitation to let Jesus into our heart boat. For me, that looks like moments to pause, breathe, and sit with Jesus. You may call it meditation. You may call it contemplation. But I think that it's a way of just being present to God's presence in our boat to quiet the noise of the wind and the waves and to bring ourselves to a place of inner peace where our soul, our mind, our thoughts can be at rest for the one who abides in us as we abide in him. I think it's a way of praying that's less about praying to Jesus and more about praying, Jesus, Jesus. Here with me, abiding in me, still my heart, my mind, my soul. Our heart boats are begging for Jesus to be let in. Maybe for some of you it's to let Jesus in for the first time. 
to see him as more than a teacher, more than a rabbi, more than a historical figure, or more than you think even a fictional figure. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is alive and he is present to you. He is longing to be gracious to you. He is waiting for you to take a step toward him and he can share with you his life, his hope, his light. And it's a life that starts now and persists. Not even death, sickness can keep you from him. For many of us that have been on the road with Jesus for a while, it's to become attuned again to see Jesus for who he is and to invite him into our boats to be reminded that we can cast our fears, our anxieties upon him. So I'll close with this short little story. Rob Bell wrote a book called How to Be Here, and he shares this story that somebody shared with him, okay? And it's about a bus driver whose route took him all around Manhattan. And at the end of his route, he would take his bus across a long bridge to go park the bus for the night in Long Island. And so this bus driver decided that he would be a part of pointing to the calmer of chaos and not just chaos. So as he approached his last stop before he took that bus over the bridge to Long Island, he would tell his passengers that they were invited to come to him and leave their anxieties, their fears, their worries. He knew that they had spent a whole day at work worrying and fussing and being afraid. And before they stepped into that home, before they walked and found those people that they loved again. He wanted to say, leave that stuff with me so that you can go and be fully present to them. And so he'd approach that last stop and passenger after passenger would leave their fears and worries with him. Isn't that a beautiful and simple little illustration of what it means to see Jesus for who he is, the calmer of chaos, inviting us to pay attention to him And also that invitation to let him into our boat, to cast your fears and anxieties on him, to share them with your brothers and sisters here, three feet away from you, or here in our space together. To be a part of bringing peace and good news in a world in desperate need of both. I want to pray, and we're going to be done. Father, again, we are thankful for this moment, this technology, this reminder that you are with us, you will not leave us nor forsake us. Again, I want to pray for our nurses, our doctors, our public servants, and Lord, for our grocery workers who had lived so much of their life unseen and perhaps unappreciated. God, we do say thank you for their willingness to step out and be a servant to our community. So Lord, we ask that you would bless and keep them, that you would bless and keep us, that you would give us all eyes to see the ways in which you are working and you are still even now working to renew all things, even us. Would you bless us and keep us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.